I want to talk about living in God's blessing, living in God's blessing. We're going to jump straight into this passage in Ephesians, the beginning of uh, Ephesians, and, uh, and see what it has to say for us. So um, you can follow along on the screens, or it's going to be, or you can grab it out in the Bibles in front of you. It's on page 1173, and um, I'm going to start reading Ephesians 1 at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. What an amazing passage that is. There's so much in there. It's just amazing. And um, some scholars think that potentially these words were spoken over people in the early church. And Paul's borrowed them from there as, as they went for their baptism. So as people went for baptism, they'd speak these amazing words over them. So they knew what it was that they were being baptized into. It's their incredible and beautiful words. I am... Um, I don't know about you, I don't know what you loved doing when you were a teenager. One of my favourite things when I was a teenager was watching Ski Sunday. Anybody remember Ski Sunday? You don't have to laugh at me, it's fine. (laughs) I loved Ski Sunday, it was amazing even right now. I've got the theme tune going round in my head. It was a wonderful programme and I I used to love watching it thinking, I think I'd be amazing at skiing, I'd love to go skiing one day. You know, have the wind in my hair and down the slope I'd go, it'd be great fun. And then one day, amazingly, my youth group decided we're going to go on a skiing trip. And I just thought, amazing, it's going to be the best, this is going to be my thing. Skiing's going to be my thing. And so, you know, it got to the moment to go on the ski trip. And guys, you wouldn't believe it. I got sick. That wasn't a joke. I was devastated. Poor me as a young man. Anyway, I was devastated. I was gutted. I couldn't go on my skiing trip. I had to wait a whole nother year for the next year when we were going to go on this skiing trip. Eventually it came round and, you know, leading up to it, I was really careful not to go near anyone who had a cough. It was like, stay away. I'm going to go skiing. And so, you know, I had to just navigate through. But finally I got there and we went off to this skiing trip. Now, all of you probably have a picture of the Alps in your head now. We, we weren't doing that. We went to a dry ski slope in Kent, you know, where if you fall 
off as like a mat and you kind of cheese grate to your face. That was what I went to. But I was thrilled. I thought this was the best thing ever. I couldn't believe it. I was going to get to go skiing. And so, you know, I went in and we got all the stuff on, you know, got the boots and all the equipment and I was ready to go. And I sort of thought I looked the part like the ski Sunday people. I'm ready to do this thing. And then they say, right, look on the wall and there's some lists. You find your group. So I had a look on the wall and there were three groups. There was a beginner's group, an intermediate group and an advanced group. And I obviously looked at the beginner's group, trying to find my name. Oh, my name was not on the list. And so I was just about to go and tell someone, excuse me, my, my name's not on the list. This is a disaster. When I noticed out of the corner of my eye, they'd accidentally put me on the intermediate list because they thought I'd been the year before. Now at that moment, I had a decision to make. Do I go and tell them that I got it wrong or do I just think I'll go with it? And I thought, how hard can skiing be? So I thought, I'll just go with this thing. And so, you know, I went down with the intermediate guys. Felt pretty cool because I was in the middle group. And, uh, you know, we're ready to do my skiing thing. And the instructor said, right, we're going to go halfway up the slope and, uh, and ski down just to remind yourself of the sort of core basics. And I thought, brilliant. This is my chance to catch up. So I went up with the other guys halfway up the slope. And when we got there, I'll be honest, looking down, it looked a lot higher up there than it did from the bottom. But I was a bit stuck then. It was like, I kind of need to go with this thing. And so people started to do their skiing down and they went to the bottom and the instructor was watching. And finally it came to my go. And I was like, okay, there's no sort of go button here. So I just sort of, you know, and I sort of gave myself a shimmy off the edge of the thing and started to ski down the slope. And as I started to get going and picking up a little bit of speed, I thought, I'm right. I'm a, I'm a natural at this thing. This is easy. You just slide down the slope. And I was sliding down and the wind was in my hair. And then we got to about, I got to about halfway down the slope and I was picking up a bit of pace by this point. And I started to think, I don't know how to stop. I was going quite quick, you know, kind of flying along, got quicker and quicker. I was looking up and in their wisdom at the very bottom, they built a tiny little slope up and then a brick wall. And I thought, I'm going to die here. This is going to be the end of me. I was flying faster and faster down this slope. And then, then the instructor came out to the middle down the, and he was waving his hands. I can only presume he was saying something like, slow down. You might want to stop or something along those lines. Anyway, I looked at him and I thought, he looks soft. So I ploughed into the instructor. <laughs> he didn't have a great day in the office that day. <laughs> and we kind of untangled ourselves and picked ourselves up. And he looked at me and he said, um, you've not done this before, have you? <laughs> he was slightly madder than that, but you know. And all I could do was shake my head. And all he did was point at the baby slope. And in front of all my friends, I had to do the walk of shame, carrying my skis off to go and learn the basics of skiing. You see, as I got to my baby slope and I hung out with all the other guys doing the beginner's bit, I kind of learned you have to know how to stand and you bend your knees and you sort of get a position in when you're going skiing and you have to know how to stop. That's kind of important. And turning, turning. Whoever knew about turning in skiing? Well, anyway, I learned all about those three key things that I had to learn on the baby slopes and in fact to learn how to be a good ski you always have to you don't throw those things off and forget about them once you get beyond them they're always key things you always have to be able to stand in the right position you always have to be able to stop and you always have to be able to turn now I think in this passage there's so much in there there's so much richness but I think there's some key things that are kind of fundamental foundational basics that we need to keep going back to to remind ourselves of the key parts of our faith. 
that stand us in good stead, that mean we're living in God's blessing. The first thing I think that jumps out from this Ephesians passage, it says it in verse 4 and 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, to childship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We are adopted. We're adopted. That's our first key point, the first foundation that we need to live in this morning. We need to embrace that we are adopted. Now, I don't know about you, but that often seems hard to kind of grasp, hard to kind of grab onto, to sort of get a hold of. I think we get an interesting picture of what this means for us in the way the gospel writers talk about Jesus's genealogies they call the sort of lists of all of his families as they kind of try and capture Jesus's family tree and you know Luke and Matthew they both capture these kind of family trees and both of them work really hard to help us understand Jesus's family and you know Luke for example he he, he helps us understand that Jesus is linked to Adam goes all the way back through son of the son of the son of the son of the all the way back Jesus's lineage back to Adam which of course is really really important isn't it it's really important that Jesus is linked to Adam the first person who sinned the first person who didn't live as God wanted him to that Jesus gets linked all the way back to Adam and then Matthew Matthew seems really keen that Jesus is linked to Abraham and Abraham, that's again, it's really important, isn't it? Abraham was the first person that God gave the old covenant to, creating his people. But we know, of course, Abraham, none of those people managed to live out the fullness of what that means. So Jesus gets linked with God's people. And then the final thing, both Luke and Matthew, they both uh, help us understand. And Jesus is linked to David. And, and it's like this kind of family tree. David being the one person who lived out well, being the king trying to usher in the things of God's kingdom as the king of God's people. And yet we all know David didn't do that perfectly. And so Jesus gets linked by the gospel writers to these key people. But we know as well that Jesus has another family tree, don't we? You know, Jesus has a perfect heavenly father that he prays to, that he calls Abba. Jesus was the perfect son. And Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he's the first person To get filled with the Spirit, where the Spirit then doesn't... I've gone a bit funny in my spelling there, apologies. (laughs) Holy Spirit, that's a technological, theological term. (laughs) The first person to be filled with the Spirit, where the Spirit does not leave him again. Jesus is continuously filled with the Spirit. But I don't know about you, when you read the genealogies of Jesus, and these key people that Jesus is linked to, it almost seems funny. Because they link all the way back to Jesus through Joseph. And that seems strange, doesn't it? Joseph not being Jesus' biological father. Well, so then is it all a mistake? Is this all wrong? You see, no, it's that actually God takes adoption very seriously. It says in Luke chapter 3, Jesus was the son, or so it was thought, of Joseph. As in Joseph fully lived out on earth, being the earthly father of Jesus. He adopted him in his family. He didn't reject him or push him out. He adopted Jesus. And so Jesus gets adopted into our line. Here's Jesus in his line. He gets adopted into our line. Adopted into all this core core family that goes through that he needs to be adopted into in order that he can die for us. That's Jesus' adoption. But then what about us? 
You see, Jesus amazingly links these two family trees through the cross that we who are on this kind of earthly family tree get adopted into his family. We get adopted to be called his children. We get adopted to be children of God. And all of that gets linked through the cross. So that through the cross of Jesus, every single one of us, as Paul tells us in this Ephesian passage, can be called children of God. And we can see that God takes that so seriously because of the way in which he deals with Jesus' adoption. His line, and God takes so seriously this morning that you are an adopted child, loved, it says in that Ephesian passage, in love. In love he wanted you to be adopted. In love he chose you. In love he wanted to draw you into his line that you might be called this morning a child of God. It's an amazing truth. So we embrace, we embrace that in love we are adopted. But it also tells us in this passage, we celebrate that we are chosen. In verse 11 it says this, in him you were also chosen. What's Paul talking about? He's saying you're picked. It's not that you had to somehow earn this or do something really clever to get it. It's not that you had to work really hard or or act really, really brilliantly well as a child of God. No, you were picked before you did anything, before you were even born. You were chosen, it says in this passage. You were chosen. And we can celebrate that we're chosen. But I don't know about you. I find that hard to live out in the fullness of. To just receive this simple message that I've been picked, that I've been chosen. You see, our society tells us that our identity is built by being successful. You know, that everything sort of starts with success. That in order to know who you are, you first have to be good at something. You have to succeed at something. And out of that, what may happen is that if you do that well, that will give you some sort of sense of authority. You know, a kind of position, a place in the world. People will think certain things about you, get a position. And we all kind of know that's sort of true, that journey. Because, you know, you kind of think, well, if you do really well, you might get a promotion. Or you might kind of move forward in the world. Or people will think certain things about you. And so it sort of starts driving that we've got to be successful. And then out of that authority, we get a sense of security. You know, we feel like we've got what we need in order to live. We feel like we've got what we need in order to be safe and secure. Because it's all built. You know, we sort of built ourselves up. We're in a certain place. Maybe we have a certain position in the world. Maybe we have a certain house. Or we live in a certain place. Or we own certain things that sort of make us feel secure and safe. And then out of that, out of that sense of security, maybe we'd build a sense of identity. That we would know who we are. And you know, we kind of all fall into the trap of that, don't we? What's the, one of the first things we ask when we meet someone? We say, hi, what's your name and what do you do? And I'm not saying that's wrong, by the way. I'm not saying you have to change all of that. But I'm saying it kind of endemic in the way in which we think and the way in which our society works is that we sort of feel like we have to succeed at something in order to be, be something or to be someone. And then that builds our sense of identity. And I think we can be certain that that is what we will be put under pressure with as well because of how Jesus is put under pressure in the temptation of Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is sent off into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, I find the temptations that the devil gives him really strange. The first temptation that the devil gives to Jesus is, well, Jesus, if you are the son of God, challenging his identity, if you are the son of God, turn these stones 
into bread. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever read that passage. Well. It seems a bit of a strange challenge. Because I presume it's not that Jesus couldn't do it. It wasn't like Jesus was like, uh-oh. Oh, my goodness. Water to wine. Fine. Walking on water. Fine. Bread, stone to bread. Uh-uh. Can't do that miracle. It's not like he was found out, like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't do that. And then if it, if it was me, I don't know about you, but if it was me, and I could do that, and the devil came and tempted me, I'd be like, all right, then. In your face. Here's a baguette. Poof. How about a croissant? Poof. Would you like anything else with that now? Huh. So why doesn't Jesus do it? Well, Jesus refuses to build his identity out of the security that he has. And so Jesus, Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on the security that I have. Man lives on the very word that comes from the Father. What's the very word that comes from the Father? Well, he's just been baptized just before this. And as Jesus is baptized, he goes down the water, he comes out, the heavens are torn apart, and the Father speaks over him, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That is the very word that he is choosing to live out of. He's not gaining his identity out of his security. He's going the other way around. And then the devil comes to him, doesn't he? The second temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, the devil comes to him and says, okay, all right, you didn't fall for that one, but how about this? He takes him to a really high place on the top of the temple. And he says, well, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and command the angels, they'll come and get you. And he even uses the Bible to try and get him. But Jesus, I mean, when you read that again, it seems so strange, doesn't it? Jesus totally could do that. One word from Jesus, legions of angels would have come to his rescue. We know that that's true. But Jesus doesn't do it. Why not? Because his authority to command legions of angels doesn't create his identity. His identity gives him that authority. And so he refuses to start playing that game. He refuses to be pushed that way. And then the final temptation of Jesus, one that must have been so genuinely tempting for us, him. Jesus is, is shown by the devil every kingdom of the earth. And the devil says to him, look, all this I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And it's almost like the devil's saying, you know what, Jesus, I know what you came for. I know what your success was. I know what your mission is. I know what you came for. You came for everything. I'll give it all of you. How tempting. Prove that you're the son of God. Have everything you came for and have it the easy way. Don't do the cross and all of that kind of stuff. Why don't you take the easy route? But Jesus knows that his success does not create his identity. His identity creates his success. He lives the other way around. And actually this Ephesian passage teaches us that we too are called to live the other way around. You see, we've been adopted. We've already looked at that. We are children. He chose us. He picked us. You know that verse 11, he chose you, he picked you. Before you've done any of this other stuff, he says, I want you and I pick you and I adore you and I love you and in love I adopt you as my child. And then out of that, out of that, you have massive security. Not to gain your identity, but you have it because he's your father and he loves you. It says in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In other words, do you not think God will look after you? Do you not think he'll give you everything? He's your father in heaven that loves and adores you. If you're his child, then your father 
is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one that flew stars into space. That's your father. That's your security. That's where we can gain our sense of security. And even more than that, this Ephesian passage teaches us that that's where we gain our authority. It doesn't, it doesn't create our identity. It comes from it. In Ephesians 1.8 it says this, With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ as in as his child you carry massive authority to do his things to live out his way not to earn a sense of approval from God you've got that before you start but because of his approval he calls you to live it out to see the most incredible things happen in his name because he loves you you carry authority and because of that of course of course And this feels like an uncomfortable word, success, but he wants you to be successful. He wants you to live it out. He wants you to see incredible things happen, kingdom things, breakthrough things. He wants to bless you. But it all flows out of our identity in him. You see, we embrace that we're adopted. We embrace it. We celebrate. We celebrate today that we are chosen. And the passage in Ephesians finishes up by telling us that we finish by receiving receiving the gift of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says this, when you believed, when you became adopted, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It's like God saying, you know, when we receive the Holy Spirit, as all of us do who are children of God, he wants to pour into us his Holy Spirit. It's like a down payment. It guarantees everything that is to come, all that we long for and we're promised for in the future eternity. He says, I give you some of that now. And that's why, I don't know about you, but that's why Often when we encounter the Holy Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of our experiences is we feel deeply loved. Why? Because in love he adopted us. And so a down payment of that sense, that reality into the depth of our heart means that we feel it and we sense it. And he invites us to feel it and sense it today. Because he's promised to us is the Holy Spirit given to every single one of us we feel safe we feel empowered we feel called we get this sense of down payment of all it is to come we receive the holy spirit you see how do we live how do we live in god's blessing does this ephesian passage tell us we live in god's blessing by embracing and fully embracing the fact that we're adopted, by celebrating and being excited by the reality that he chose us and receiving the gift of the down payment of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.